This week on the Rotten Righteous Podcast, we make the statement. Istanbul. Yeah, they had to go to Istanbul, not Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? It's nobody's business but the Turks. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, they had to go to... <laughs> Welcome back to the Rotten or Righteous Podcast, the only podcast that they play 24-7 on loudspeakers in every circle of hell. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many true facts we've had on Rotten or Righteous, but that right there is one of them. I give you full marks for that introduction. If you like the show and you want to keep it around a little while longer, then do me a favor and go ahead and and smash that like button. Smash it. Smash it. Wreck it like Ralph. Like, comment, and subscribe. Yeah, like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, my Instagram. Uh, thank you for all my followers. And uh, <laughs> no, if you if you like the show. Subscribe to it on your favorite podcatcher. If you're listening to iTunes, give it five stars. If you want to talk to us, I don't know why you would, but you can. RottenRighteous at gmail.com or facebook.com slash RottenRighteous. Uh, yep, you should know all that by now. With me today, as always, the greatest sins in human history have been committed in the name of love. For example, Luke Taylor. Woo-hoo. Some people say young people are disappointing. But they become tolerable around 35. Those people clearly have never met Scott Judge. (laughs) Wait till they get a load of me. I'll change their mind. Scott, you're not over 35 yet, are you? I'm over 50. (laughs) And me, well, this isn't my best work, but it'll do for the Italians. I'm Zach Geiler. Boo! I don't know how I got onto this subject. I I wanted to share something with you guys. Because um, I never laughed more at something, but also have been so very sad for the future of our country. I was just following down a, a Wikipedia rabbit hole one morning while I was uh, procrastinating getting out of bed. And I came across a guy named Nat Turner. He was um, famous back when there was slavery. For He was like kind of like a... a uh, Sojourner Truth type, where he would help people escape until, unfortunately, he was caught by by white plantation owners and hung. But um, as I was looking and reading more on this Nat Turner guy, I, I came across a student's project uh, on a website called timetoast.com where you can make like a uh, where you can make like a timeline. And I was reading through this guy's project, and I I I, <laughs> I had laughed for too long, for too long at all of this. So I just want to kind of work. <laughs> I just kind of want to go through real quick. I probably should have looked up some stuff to tell you about the real Nat Turner before just going straight into whatever this kid spent five minutes on before turning it in. Um, here's uh, Nat Turner's. Story. He he's famous for basically uh, he, he 
organized a slave rebellion that took place in Southampton County, Virginia in August 1831. The rebels, these, these slaves, killed between 55 and 65 people, at least 51 of whom were white. So that's good. I mean, I feel like you kind of missed that's the good. <laughs> so you that's missed good. the plot there. That's... I mean, it's, listen. So he's fifth... got that going for him, which is nice. <laughs> First of all, I would like to say that you're, you know, waking up out of bed in the morning and having a Wikipedia binge. I feel like is is not a terrible thing. It's better than Instagram. Uh, I wish but, my. I mean, he wasn't a great leader of a rebellion because I'm looking at it here. Uh, and first of all, they weren't just killing random white people. They were, they basically fought against local white militias. Um, not only did Nat Turner die in this rebellion, but he did kill between 55 and 65 people. But he lost 160 members of his own militia or his own rebellion. So, True. you know. <laughs> Good for him, I guess. But uh, <laughs> so he lost 150, and he killed. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> well, hey, you know. it, it says in the aftermath of the rebellion, a dozen suspected rebels were tried in courts. It says 15 of the enslaved individuals tried in Southampton were acquitted. There were 18 that were hanged. Of 30, a 30 that were charged. There were 18 that were hanged, and 12 that were sold out of state. I wondered what made the difference with that. If they were young and they still had work years left, I don't say well. well, well, Maybe it was who killed people and who didn't. Um, But anyways, he was he was hung. But he uh, was born in October second, eighteen hundred, and died November eleventh, eighteen thirty one. Basically, that's all I really needed you to know about Matt Turner before we got into this timeline. All right. So, like I said, this is a a a timeline by the end of uh, or or by. By a young man named Trent Austin. Let's start at the beginning. First of all, he has no actual dates. Except for October 2nd, 1800. Nat Turner was born. We saw that. And the label for this was... How Nat Turner saved people in slavery. Nat Turner took his self out of slavery. And after that, he saved other people from slavery. And that was why he is famous today even though he died at a young age. (laughs) The next entry is for 1800 BCE. Uh So about the time Abraham and... (laughs) (laughs) August 20... So he goes... He goes from October... He goes from October 2nd, 1880. Back to (laughs) BCE... Interesting. All right, this next entry Uh, was people Nat Turner saved. August 22nd was the happiest day of people in slavery life. (laughs) Where did you find this? Is this this isn't on Wikipedia, is it? I just know. This is probably in the citations of Wikipedia. No, I just I just Googled Nat Turner. This is what came up. August 22nd was the happiest day of people in slavery life. Nat Turner and his fellow slaves went and helped save other people's life. And that very day, that was what he was famous for. Everyone loved him for what he did to risk his life to save others. 
Next entry is titled, How Nat Turner Became Famous, again, 1800 B.C. Nat Turner was a slave who became a preacher and made history as a leader. He was also one of the bloodiest slaves revolt in America in his period of this time. He also hid from slavery for six weeks. <laughs> this is probably some like third grader. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly what I'm thinking. This is someone's history report. I know it is, but I, 1800 BCE. Nat Turner was in slavery. He was in slavery at Southampton, and he was in slavery for a long period of time. 1800 BCE. Maybe. Nat Turner childhood. Nat Turner was born into slavery. Again, Nat Turner's mother was a household of slavery. Most people... (laughs) (laughs) Nat Turner's mother was a household of slavery. So people went in their house and took them slavery. (laughs) 1800 BCE, Nat Turner childhood. When Nat Turner was a kid, he moved from place to place. He had many friends. He also had a lot of visions... (laughs) he had many friends he also had a lot of visions he also went to the county jail (laughs) 1800 BCE this was just called Nat Turner Nat Turner was born in Virginia he was born on October 2nd 1800 and got married to Cherry Turner he also helped save some slaves from slavery and then the final entry, 18, 1831 BCE, the end of Nat Turner. November 11th, 1831 was the saddest day every sadly Nat Turner died. <laughs> I repeat, November 11th, 1833 was the saddest day every sadly Nat Turner died. When people heard, heard as in sheep heard, when people heard about and everyone was sad and depressed. I hope this kid got an A on this. November oh, 11th, yeah. 1831 is a day to remember. And so, you know, guys, next November 11th, 1831, just remember it was the saddest day every sadly Nat Turner died when people heard about it <laughs> and everyone was <laughs> sad day. and depressed. I don't know if this is was a national holiday. I don't think so. I just, I, I hope this kid, if he was a third grader, got an A. And if this was like an English as a second language student, uh, they didn't pass. <laughs> hey, did you, see, did you see what may have happened to him after he died? Did you know that it was the saddest day every sadly Nat Turner died? Oh, it gets sadder though. Oh, Turner's when... body did not receive a formal burial. They're talking about how they skinned him and turned his flesh and bones into, uh, into soap. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that sounds like a Da Vinci Code kind of thing. You know what's yeah. sad is that when I heard about and everyone was sad and depressed. Thanks, Scott. Everyone I've, is sad I've and depressed. depressed. No, not depressed. Depressed. Everyone is sad and depressed. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the title of this episode. Everyone is sad and, and depressed. <laughs> Man, we are just speaking the truth tonight, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I want to, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> this movie's this movie's special. This week we watched the 2016 mystery thriller documentary, 
Inferno, the third and final movie, probably ever, of the uh, uh, three-movie trilogy, which, you know, that's what a trilogy is, three movies, uh, starring Robert Langdon, played by uh, Tom Hanks. And Inferno begins like all good movies begin, and that's with a ginger in a suit committing suicide after being chased by a black man in a windbreaker up a tower. Every good movie. <laughs> he had a windbreaker on? Props yes. to him. Yeah. Uh, Christophe Bouchard had a windbreaker on. So basically, we see this geneticist Bertrand Zobrist, and he, he's just booking it through the streets of, of Italia, and he runs up a tower because he's an idiot, apparently. He's the smartest idiot in the whole world. Because, you know, when you're being chased by people... Up a tower is probably not the best uh, decision to make. There's not a lot of ways to to escape if you're up at the top of a tower. He knew this was the end. Or maybe he thought he was made out of Nerf. Like the material of Nerf. He thought, you know yeah, what? He didn't bounce well. No. And it was a pretty... Uh, yeah, so he's being he's being chased by... This this black agent, and I only say that because I don't know anything else about him, uh, his name was Christophe Bouchard, and Bouchard wants to know where Zobrist's potentially dangerous secret is. The uh, MacGuffin of this whole movie, Bouchard's like, hey Zobrist, bro, um, tell me where that, that secret is, and Zobrist's like, oh, I'll tell you, right after I jump out this window, and he does, and he dies. But I was real confused for like the first 15 minutes of this movie. Because the last two movies opened up with like Robert Langdon talking about something. But not in this one. This mm -hmm. one was all Zobrist. And I'm like, who's this Zobrist guy? I do not care. Give me that, that sweet, sweet Robert Langdon. It was easier to understand when he was just in a Speedo at the beginning. And right. now... I mean, this movie... I don't know what's going on anymore. This movie was just... so. I mean, not one man but, Luke. Not one. I know. This is well. I mean, you'd think in uh, the uh, all the Dante scenes, like they could have incorporated one, but they really missed their chance here. And for that reason, we give this movie four <laughs> thumbs down. But don't worry, it's dear definitely friends. A darker movie than the others. I mean, even though the others were pretty dark. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty stupid movie. I'll be honest, but. Uh, think, we, I don't know why you guys didn't like this one. I mean, of all I'll, the things we've watched. I, I feel like... I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why later. There, I didn't like the plot device that was used. And I'm not blaming that on, 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 on you know, the directors or the actors or whatever. I'm probably blaming it on Dan Brown. I didn't read Inferno, so... But we do Dan finally Langdon. find Professor Robert Langdon lying in a hospital bed. And he's got himself a little head wound... And he's he's just having a terrible time because you know how how when you get a real bad concussion and you start seeing hell, just flashes of hell oh, yeah. in front of your face. You know how that happens, right? And and uh, uh, no, I mean it's really kind of disturbing. I mean we're seeing people writhing on the ground in pain. Others are being burned alive. Some people have their heads turned backwards. Some some lady in a hood is like whispering into him. He sees those long beaked plague masks, and 
But when he awakes, he's so lucky because he just sees the, the prettiest doctor in the whole wide world, Sienna Brooks, played by Felicity Jones, who also played Jen Erso in uh, Rogue One. And oh, what, yeah. I knew I'd seen her somewhere. And wouldn't you know, here's the thing about this movie. Every woman in this movie is too pretty to be what they are. In the movie? In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Every woman in this movie is too pretty to be in the movie. I, who else other than her? Well, you got uh, I mean, Sienna Brooks. I mean, whatever. Fine. There's pretty doctors out there. But, like, real soon we get this, like, assassin lady, right? This lady named Viantha. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that she's, like, like, attractive, but she looks like a supermodel. You know what I mean? Like... And she's like, "Oh, I'm an assassin. I'm an assassin cop lady." Now, I'm not saying that. I'm just like, you know how some supermodels, they are attractive in a way. They're not like approachably attractive, but you look at them and you're like, "Okay, she's clearly a supermodel." That's what she looked like. They're like the, uh, they're like the, um, like the supermodels are supposed to be interesting looking instead of like the same old bland like attractive. Right. So okay, I could I could go with that. But she doesn't. She, she had a, uh, she a pretty didn't. big chin, and so I was wondering what Scott's impression was. No, Scott wanted to grab that chin. <laughs> so yeah, he awakes. Yeah. He doesn't know what's happening. He's having a bad time. His heart rate's way out of control, but no doctor gives a crap about that. His heart rate's going at like one sixty, and the little heart monitor's like, beep, 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 beep. and I'm like, he needs some help. He's about to. Somebody grab the crash cart. He's going into cardiac just arrest, relax. and then and then and then Doctor Felicity just walks in there and is just like, oh, this thing's making so much noise. Beep. What are you doing? That's not what that's for. You don't just mute it. Challenge accepted. It's exactly what she did. Just relax. You're fine. And so, Sienna tells Langdon why he's there. Apparently, he got shot in the head. By the world's worst assassin, because it just grazed his skull instead of killing him. Which, you know, that, that, I mean, I'm not going to say it happens, but it seems like in a lot of media that happens, where somebody gets their skull grazed instead of a bullet going in. I don't know. And then, moments later, the assassin named Viantha, she just comes in and she's dressed up like a police officer. And I looked at her and said, There's, you're not a police officer. I know you're not. Just stop. I know you're not. Nobody else does, apparently. But I know you're not. Please stop. But she does what all was, police officers do. I was all for it. Do. I was buying it. She does what all police officers do, and that is just pew pew, start shooting the uh, the other doctors and whatnot. Pew 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 pew. And she tries to break into to Langdon's room, but they're in this hospital that's actually made up of like a maze. Because the hallway that enters into Dr. Langdon's room has a separate entrance to a, another hallway that is completely cut off from the first hallway, so they're able to get away. It's a pretty cool hospital. I mean, Scott, you've been in hospitals You ever been in the secret hallways in hospitals? Sienna, Dr. Sienna helps Langdon get away, and Dr. Langdon has his IV in his arm. And I only bring this up because, again... <laughs> One of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life happened. So they're in the back of this cab. They're being shot at still because Viantha was able to get down to the ground. She couldn't get into that secret hallway. But she could get to the ground in about five seconds. And then so she's like, pew, 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 at the back of the cab. And the, they're telling the driver, drive. And then 
uh, Dr. Sienna turns the light and she's like, oh, sorry about this, it's gonna hurt. And then she just rips his IV out of his arm. That's not how they do that. <laughs> Have you ever um, once had an IV no. removed by the doctor saying sorry about this and just ripping it out like she's trying to start a lawnmower? Well, I've never been I've never been shot at. So maybe if I was being shot at and you know, the doctor was just like I still feel like the doctor would be like a little gentler. Like there was no reason on the back of that car that they had to rip that thing out. <laughs> they were still driving along. Could have taken it a little easier. Not only that, but it's not like it's not like anything's holding that IV in except for the tape. That's why they tape it. <laughs> you don't. It's Apparently, not like, he had the one with hooks in it. Yeah, he's he's got one that has a <laughs> he's got a really long IV that's actually tied around one of his ribs. So they had to really <laughs> yank it out of there. So dumb. So dumb. So it turns out uh, Robert Langdon has amnesia, and he wakes up after being pa after passing out from just pure shock and trauma of having every single arm hair ripped out when she tore that IV out of his arm. <laughs> <laughs> he wakes up at Sienna's home, mm. and he asks her for for um um that that hot <laughs> bref that hot beverage that you that you drink. That you drank at, at breakfast sometimes. Tea? No, not tea. Oh, uh, coffee. Uh, coffee, that's one. it. Yep, so he has dem uh, uh, amnesia now. He doesn't know the word for coffee. But I'll tell you what he doesn't forget. His password to his Gmail account. Well, when you have an amnesia, see, you forget some things. Or not you forget things. the word coffee, but you don't forget your username and password to Gmail? I don't have amnesia, right. and if I didn't have a computer that had all those passwords saved for me, I would not be able to get into anything ever again. Well, you're old school. You you swim in a speedo at Harvard, or sorry, Cambridge. Like you know, you're not using automated passwords. You don't whoa, have that. Whoa, face whoa, ID. whoa! His password's whoa, the Fibonacci whoa, whoa, sequence. Mr. Booch. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that Zach's not good enough to be in Harvard? He's got to go it's... to Columbia. He's got <laughs> Cambridge. Oh, Cambridge. You better shut your mouth. Cambridge. I'm a I'm a Yale man through and through. A uh, Yale man. <laughs> you know. Oh my. There's the Ivy Leagues. I was accepted to the Crabgrasses. The crab. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so he doesn't know the word for coffee, but while Sienna is, is making him a cup of coffee, um, he just takes it upon himself to go check his email on her laptop. He knows his password. It's dumb. So dumb. He finds one... Yes. From uh, a man named Ignacio Busoni. And uh, the message states that Ignacio is safe. And he has something that, that he and Langdon have uh, apparently stolen. As well as the message Paradise 25. I tell you what, I bet Robert Langdon is just horrible to have at like a murder mystery party. Can you imagine that? How serious he would take it? Well, I mean, if you had been oh, caught man. up in all these conspiracies throughout your life, you know. Or, like, playing the game of Clue. Oh, he has a conservatory. Everybody knows that Apollo's conservatory was 37 meters. And so if we times that by the Fibonacci sequence, then all of a sudden we have... Let me do the math. Oh, yep. There's the statue of David by, uh, by uh, uh, Da Vinci. And that, of course, has his peep hanging out that's hanging at a 45-degree angle, which points to Galileo's clock. And uh, Eureka, it was <laughs> Professor Plum Holy in the cow. library with the lead pipe. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, it's not. I just look it up. It wasn't. 
is what was hanging it? out at a 45 degree angle. Oh, she, I mean, I'm that's what—that's what, that's basically what Dan Brown does in his movies. He just takes the most random, uh, <laughs> inane things about art and makes them seem as if they're significant. They're uh, all significant, uh, Zach. I mean, you just—you're you, not seeing the the secret messages. I mean, yes, they left, he is. It's they left out They left out some of the stupider secret messages that were in the Da Vinci Code. I went back and looked at it. There is a whole like, like plot point about the fact that if you looked at the people in the the last pa- or last supper painting that the letter m shows up which stands for marriage ooh that's in the that's in the book i think so i don't think i'm making that up i don't but remember I could, but i could be that would actually be pretty good with the uh, the mary mags plot all right so I will, I will say though, uh, like I, I like this movie because the problem is potentially like a problem in real life. Like, yeah. like all the the stats about like population growth and whatnot, and how quickly, uh, how exponentially it's grown. Like all that's true, and mm-hmm. it will probably have to be addressed somehow or other. That's where next... that's why COVID this year. That's right. Yeah, it's especially uh, interesting just, because we are currently going through a pandemic. Let's just call it what it is, Luke. It's COVID. All right, well, let's get to what Luke is uh, uh, alluding to. All right, so after reading this message from Ignazio Busoni, uh they go through uh, Robert Langdon's stuff, and they find a um, little tube marked biohazard that when... Professor Langdon puts his thumbprint on it. It pops open, and inside's a little cylinder made out of human bone. And inside that human bone is a very modern light that shines an image of a painting of Dante's Inferno, Dante's Map of Hell. Uh, It's a painting done by Sandro Botticelli. And that's how you have to pronounce it. Botticelli! Will somebody please explain how a modern light got into a piece of human bone that shines a painting onto the wall? Magic. Who made who made this light? I mean, the light's modern, though. It's quite they literally just, they just threw never the... spoken about ever. I, there might be some more about that in the book. I can't remember. Okay. You know, you just have to have the human bone factor because it makes it a little bit more mysterious. Apparently, it was supposed to go to... I don't want to ruin the twist, so... I don't know. But anyways, they're looking at it for like six seconds, and then all of a sudden, they see uh, Zobrist's name on it, which leads them to a YouTube clip of Zobrist talking about his viewpoints of humanity and how the world needs to be cleansed. Basically, he's turned into a uh, more realistic Thanos from the Avengers movies. He's like, hey, I have a way to kill half of the world's population. It's going to be real simple. It's called... uh, uh, the Inferno virus is going to be super awesome, and uh, I really would like to do that, please. And turns out he has this plan in motion, and he was about to set it off right before he was killed by, or killed right before he killed himself by jumping out that 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 tower. Um, yeah. So they're looking at this Faraday pointer. They find out that Zobrist wants to kill half of humanity with this virus because he's afraid of overpopulation and whatnot. And then Langdon's like, I think we should call the U.S. consulate. Well, it turns out the consulate are looking for Langdon. 
They're like, oh, Mr. Langdon, we've been looking for you. Thank goodness you're okay. And then Langdon's like, how do you know my name? And they're like, oh, you told us that uh, when you first called. I know you have amnesia, but you don't have to be stupid about it. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I'm at this hotel, which is right across the street from where I'm calling from. Come and pick me up. And so they hang up the phone, and then sure enough, Vayentha, the assassin, and the other officers that are out for him go to that hotel. But here's the thing, that uh, neither this super-intelligent Dr. Sienna or the super-intelligent Robert Langdon understand. Uh, you have IP addresses that clearly are visible to government agencies when you look up things like your Gmail, and they can also triangulate your cell phone uh, uh, ping. Literally, you t gave them a map to exactly where you were, Mr. Langdon. You dumb, dumb, dummy. Well, you notice that, um, as in typical government fashion, they use none of those tools, and they go off of Robert Langdon's words as to where he is. Okay, so as they run away, we find out that these government agencies work for the World Health Organization. Up until watching this movie, I never once thought in a million years that the World Health Organization had so many armed soldiers at their command. <laughs> Scott, did you this know that? so creepy. Did you know no. the World Health Organization could just snap their fingers and all of a sudden 44 men in black with giant M16s on their shoulders just paragliding down from the sky? It's dumb. It's so dumb. I mean, dumb. it makes sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it doesn't. It's dumb. Well, as you have seen through the current pandemic, the World Health Organization has a little bit more power than probably all of us thought. No, I'm sorry. The CDC has a little more power than all of us thought. The World Health Organization is basically sitting on their thumbs because they disagree with what Fauci just said recently. And Fauci's just like, hey, I'm the captain now. Well, they were bought by China and basically covered for their butts, so... Well, it's what they conspiracy. don't understand is that Elon Musk is actually Zobrist, and he designed... <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He designed the coronavirus, and we didn't have a real Robert Langdon to, to stop it, so Inferno got out. Except, Inferno was supposed yes. to wipe out half the population, while Corona... Um, it probably has inconvenienced half the population and has been damaged or, or, or truly life-threatening to maybe 1% of the population. Not quite as, as, you know, scary as this Inferno virus. They run away from the apartment now that they know that the World Health Organization as well as this assassin is coming to get them. And so, as they're running around, they're trying to figure out another clue they got from the Faraday Pointer. You see, they saw a... Uh, Back, Anagram on there. And it's spelled Ooh, out. Betty. And it's spelled out Circatrova, which is Italian for seek and find. So Langdon runs away. He gets away. Right. We're introduced to the leader of the World Health Organization, a woman by the name of Elizabeth Sinsky. And she's like, we gotta find Langwin, or we gotta find Langwin. We gotta find Langdon, don't trust anybody, and find him by any means necessary. Meanwhile, uh, Officer Hot Lips O'Houlihan is over there calling in. <laughs> the assassin Vayentha is over there calling in to speak to the provost, uh, uh, a man by the name of Harry Sims, who's the CEO of a firm called the Consortium. Oh, so dumb. All right, there's a secret organization. I don't even know what they do. It's called, like, uh, uh, 
It's like risk management, but for like super billionaires where they just go around and killing people. It's like a secret private murder group. It's dumb. You th what you think organizations like this don't exist? I mean, I'm sure that uh, that that risk management companies exist. What I'm saying is, you don't have like some uh, uh, Indian dude that that couldn't run Jurassic World because that's the last time I saw him when he was playing Masrani <laughs> in Jurassic World. He's like, he's like. He's like, oh, look, I flew my helicopter into the giant pyramid on Jurassic World. Now I'm going to kill just regular people. Forget about the dinosaurs. And so he's... A, a risk management firm. I wouldn't exactly describe it at that. It's, it's basically a firm that does whatever you want them to do if you pay them enough money. <laughs> Indian guy's my favorite. Of course he is. Every time there's an Indian guy in any movie, he's going to be your favorite, period. Everyone knows this. Yeah, but they never make... They never make Indian guys the villains, you know. Okay, so we learned that this assassin lady is being is being hired or, or is in, under the employ of Harry Sims, who is the CEO of the consortium, who basically takes care of of anything uh, that rich people tell them to do. We're back with Langdon and Sienna. They're following the clues to the Palazzo Vecchio uh, to see the painting, the Battle of Marciano. And I know what you're thinking, dear listener. I've never heard of any of these places. I know. That's because Dan Brown used all of the famous paintings in his first two books. <laughs> I gotta say, this, this does... I, I do think... I think Dan was getting a little bit lazy here. When you think about this movie, it's like almost the exact same as... Um, what is it? Uh, Angels and Demons. There's a device that's planted that's going to kill a bunch of people. Robert Langdon runs around with a pretty person the whole movie because otherwise you wouldn't want to stare at Tom Hanks this whole time. And they find I anagrams vehemently... and they run around and they look for clues. And it find, it turns out that the person – well, I can't say that yet. But I vehemently <laughs> disagree with he's your like, statement. I'll just I vehemently <clears throat> disagree with your statement that nobody wants to watch Tom Hanks for two hours. Have you not seen the movie well, Castaway? <clears throat> That's true. I, I mean, he's a good actor, but Dan Brown, you know, this is just his shtick. He's got to yeah. have one of those. and uh, He's got to have one of those, you know, pretty story. girls. He's got to have one of them dames with yeah. the nice gams. He has to have a yeah. niece. There are worse things. So, uh, yeah, they go to this, this, this place, the Palazzo Vecchio, and they see this world-famous painting that we've all heard about, the Battle of Marciano, which contains, you know, uh, some similar clues like they found on the map. But while he's there, Robert starts to have more hallucinations. Because everyone knows when you get a bad concussion, you hallucinate all the time. Granted, I've never once seen someone on concussion protocol stopping. Oh, I'm seeing four horsemen. <laughs> Did you see that? They're like, ow, my head hurts and I have a sensitivity to light. Okay, don't fall asleep. I smell yellow. Is that normal? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's he's you know looking looking around. He's having hallucinations. He feels a pain at the back of his neck because he remembers he was injected with something. He's like, oh no, I got injected with the Rona. I mean the the Inferno virus. I'm the carrier. And he's got, like, these rashes on his hands. And then Sienna's like, well, I guess I'm with you because if you have the virus, and then I have the virus. And then they make out for a little bit. 
not really, but you could tell that they wanted to. And then they come across a museum employer, or employee, the only homely woman in this entire movie, the very pregnant Marta Alvarez. And they're like, hey, do you, can we go see that, that thing that I saw last night? Because Robert Langdon was there last night, except he just now remembered this. And she's like, oh, it's so morbid. And he's like, yeah, but I really want to see it. Please. 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 And Marta's like, okay, Robert, I can never say no to you. How do you think I got in this situation? And then he carry, walks from... <laughs> She walks him up steps and into this little room. And when you know the thing that 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 that, that Robert Langdon came to see, the Dante, uh, he came to see Dante's death mask, and it's it's done did been stolen. The ding dang thing's been stolen. And so they go to a security shock, room. They shock. have state-of-the-art security. I mean, we're talking key badges to open doors. We're talking HD video cameras and all the art pieces. The one thing they don't have is the cases for their priceless artifacts actually wired up with any kind of alarm whatsoever. Because we watch in a video, Robert and his buddy, the uh, the dude that, that messaged him or emailed him, what was his name? Uh, Ignacio Bassoni. We just watched them very easily pick up a glass case that surrounds Dante's death mask, take it, and just walk out. Like it was nothing. It was stupid. Stupid. And then everybody turns around to Robert Langdon, and they're like, hey, what's up? And Langdon's like, look, you've got to trust me. I didn't steal it. They're like, we just saw you on video, Robert. We saw you steal it. And he's like, yeah, but I didn't steal it. <laughs> like seriously robert we just saw you take it yeah but i don't remember stealing it which means legally i didn't steal it I, i'm not responsible <laughs> robert lane is like i don't know about this mask but sorry about this pregnant lady sitting in the chair i'm gonna steal your keys and then we're gonna run away they steal the keys they go through a secret passage they end up in the rafters of the Palazzo Vecchio. They're trying to sneak through because they know the World Health Organization and the Assassin Lady have shown up. They have shown up at the Palazzo. And so they're trying to sneak real quietly across these beams. It's real sketchy and quiet. But then Sienna loses her footing and falls so very hard. From the rafters onto, like, the ceiling. The, these beams over the ceiling. The World Health Organization is right below this ceiling. As well as the assassin lady. None of them look up when her body hits the, the, <laughs> the wood slats. But then she drops her cell phone. Everyone hears that. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. She's like, whoa! <laughs> right there. Did you Nothing. hear that? And then her phone falls out of her hand for like a four, two-foot drop. Just, thunk, thunk, thunk. Huh? What was that? <laughs> so stupid. Oh. And so the assassin goes running up to, to confront Robert and Sophia. And uh, Sophia, or, or uh, the assassin just got an, an order from her boss that she needs to kill Robert Langdon. Like, he is too much of a liability. 
Uh, we don't really know whose side they are on, whether they want this virus to go off. We don't really know the stakes because the stakes are never really laid out until like the last 30 minutes of the movie. And then we know the stakes. But the stakes are this. There's a virus about to go out. We don't learn the, the, that, like, how much time we have until, like, the last third of the movie. It's really dumb. We don't know why Robert and Sophia, or, or Sienna, Sophia was the last pretty girl's name, are running through all these, these, these mysterious buildings. But she's shooting, or the, the assassin's shooting at Robert up upon these, uh, upon these rafters. And then Sienna takes a piece of, of iron that she finds and then smacks the assassin on the leg. The assassin goes flying down through the roof, falls two stories to her death. Good scene. No, it was it was a stupid scene. Because this... Jack has more I than mean, two when stories. The, this when assassin, the body hit the floor. This assassin hit the ground. She's dressed as an Italian police officer. No one bothers to take a pulse to check on her. To say, oh my goodness, a body just fell from the ceiling. How weird is that? Hey, there's mostly dead and all the way dead. They didn't need to take a pulse because they knew she was all the way dead. I'm just saying, Scott, If and I don't care if they're dressed as a cop or not. If a body just falls from my ceiling in front of me, my first reaction is not going to be ignoring it like everyone in that room. My first reaction would well, be like, see, "You're not a hardened, you're not a hardened, uh, you know, military guy who runs around doing committing crimes." And they escape the the or the 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 Palazzo Vecchio, and Robert Langdon remembers that uh, that that uh, uh, what I can't remember the stupid name. What's Ignacio. the dude's name? Uh, yeah, Ignacio Bosoni worked at this this church building, where there's um, another famous art piece that we've all heard about and care about, that isn't the Mona Lisa or anything Da Vinci did, and of course I'm talking about uh, 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 I can't even think the baptismal font. Yeah, the 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 baptismal El Duomo. Font. El Duomo, what? In El Duomo. It's, no, it's the Florence Baptistry. I don't know. It's a place where they sprinkle babies. And they reach inside, and don't you know, there's Dante's death mask just floating around in a bag in there, perfectly fine. And then, it just so happens that, that Dr. Sienna uh, knows that uh, the mask was painted with this plaster that's apparently made out of like mashed potatoes because it takes very little scrubbing. All you gotta do is get it wet and it just wipes off like it's a dry erase marker. And so they do that and there's some writing underneath in perfect English. I don't know why there's perfect English on the back of an Italian death mask, but it, there is. And uh, well, he it, uh, the the Ignacio guy uh, wrote it. He wrote it like the night before or whatever. Okay, I don't care. It's dumb. This whole movie's dumb. <laughs> So they, they discover this clue on the bath, back of the death mask. And then, as they're about ready to leave to go to the next place, the Bouchard, the big black security dude, the one that chased uh, uh, Zobrist off the, the roof at the beginning of the movie, shows up. He's like, guys, where have you been? We promised to meet each other at the fount of, of dearly departed altar boys at, at 3.30, and you guys didn't show up. <laughs> 
It's horrible. <laughs> I, I don't know why I said that. Because the guys didn't show up. We're supposed to be butts on this. Remember? Remember, I went to... It's like, Dr. Lane, remember you were at Cambridge before you got amnesia two days ago? Remember? And then, and I told you that I need your help uh, understanding uh, 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 this 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 remember? fancy this fancy bone light. Remember that, huh? You remember? And Robert's that like, "That was great." Robert's like, "Yeah, I, I guess, I guess, I guess." He just did some inception on uh, on that guy on Robert. Yeah, but, but Bouchard's like, "Me and you are in it together. We're gonna stop this. Uh, we're gonna stop this this virus. The World Health Organization wants you, Robert, to help them. We're not trying to kill you, you dummy. Maybe you should have asked one person from the World Health Organization what's going on instead of just assuming everyone's out to kill you. What? You get one assassin shooting at you, and all of a sudden you just stop trusting people. <laughs> You're supposed to be smart. Come, come on, Robert. You're better than that. So." Bouchard joins Robert Langdon and Sienna as they proceed. But on the the, the train to Venice, that's where they got to go, you see. Venice. On the train to Venice, Langdon understands that Bouchard is, is lying to him. You see, he remembers that it wasn't Bouchard that met him up at Cambridge, but it was actually Sinsky, the head of the uh, World Health Organization. And so, Robert hits him in the head with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> well done. And so, they, they're able to get away from him for a little bit. And by the way, here's something important to understand. For some reason, if you ever get hit in the head in this movie, your eyes turn blood red for a minute. Because I was looking at that. I was looking at, at, at Bouchard the rest of this, this movie for like the next 45 minutes that he's in it. Spoiler alert. And I'm like, man, his eyes are red. And then later on, Robert Langdon gets hit in the head and his eye turns red. And I'm looking at it going... Is that... I'm like... Is that what that was? Yeah. I was, I was thinking that they were like, they were like, oh, look, they're infected. But... No. Then it didn't turn into anything. <laughs> apparently, apparently, Opie, you know, Ron Howard thinks that if you're ever hit in the head, every blood vessel in your eye pops. But here's the true? thing. No, it's it's not true. And if it does happen, sometimes, you know, your blood vessels in your eyes can pop, turning them red. They don't go away in like an hour and a half. Those stay that way for a bit. But I digress. Maybe they didn't have the budget to keep them that way clear through the show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron's a little short on money. He's, he's strapped a little bit for red eye. <laughs> so they get to Venice... And then they realize that they're at the wrong place. So he deduces that they need to go to... Oh, what was it? It wasn't Geneva. Uh, Istanbul. Istanbul. Yeah, they had to go to Istanbul, not Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? It's nobody's business but the Turks. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, they had to go to... <laughs> they had to go to the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Trying to find another clue. Because this is what this movie's all about, guys. This is finding clues after clues. You know how it is. And they're in a basement. And and Bouchard is, is chasing Robert Langdon and Sienna. But then they come across this, like, grate that's just shut. It's an ancient grate, but it's just shut with, like, one of them bathroom latches that you see at, like, Walmart. You know, one of them sliding latches. And even <laughs> though it's, like, an 1,000-year-old grate, it's not rusted. It's totally fine, guys. She can open it real easy. And then they pay a gypsy woman... To open the grate so they can escape. 
except Sienna goes out first, and then she's like, oh, sorry, Robert, looks like you're stuck in this cellar. And Robert starts screaming as if he's in a bottomless pit that has no other accent. But really, guys, he's in a very well-lit hallway that he walked into. He's in emotional pain, you see. Half the world's gonna die. But then Bouchard catches up to him, grabs his leg, smacks his head against the wall. Boom. Robert's out of it, right? He's out of it. He's done. His eye turns red. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you know it's over. Okay, yeah. So this all takes place in Venice, but they realize they need to go to Istanbul, but then they have to get away from Bouchard, and so they run away into this basement, and then Sophia uh, uh, betrays Robert because it turns out that Sophia was Zobrist's girlfriend the whole time. Dum-dum-dum. And so she was going to go ahead and carry on Zobrist's work and release this plague, and she was just using Langdon to help her figure out the clues that Zobris left behind for her to follow to get to Inferno so that she could set it off. This movie is dumb. Why is we that dumb? Ever I mean, saw that's dumbest. That's a, I feel like if we had watched this movie first, you no. know, and, and you didn't have any introduction to like the Dan Brown stuff, like it would have been better, but I feel like it was just a recycled version of the old one. And we were like, okay, we kind of get what's going on here. Yeah. But the thing but is, I feel like just not... as like a standalone mute, if I just like handed this to somebody as like a standalone movie, I think they would enjoy it. I I would agree up until, well, let's just let's just get to uh, what happens next. While they're in Venice, Sims, the leader of the consortium, meet with Sinsky, the leader of the World Health Organization, and they're like, "Hey, let's work together to work uh, or to find Robert and stop this virus." Because Sims wants to be a good guy. Sinsky wants to find Robert Langdon because she used to have a history with Mister Langdon. They used to be lovers in a biblical sense, and so they Ooh. need to they need to find Langdon. Everybody everybody loves Langdon. That's what these movies should be called. Everyone loves Langdon. Sims is on the good side now. He's not trying to kill Langdon, even though five minutes ago he ordered his assassin to kill Langdon, but the assassin is now dead, and so he's like, "Oops, my bad. Let's not kill Langdon now. Let's work together." World Health Organization. Great. So Langdon has been captured by Bouchard. And it turns out that Bouchard was conspiring with Sienna, because of course he was. But then Sims, and so they're underneath this, like, bridge, and Bouchard's, like, pointing a gun at Robert, and he's like, you need to tell me where Inferno is, because they found the last clue while they were in Venice, somehow. I don't know, they don't really care about the clues in this movie. They're just, you know, just going along with the flow, hitting the Dan Brown story points. He's like, hey, tell me where Inferno is, tell me where this virus is, and he's pointing a gun at him, and before Robert caves, and you know he's going to cave, because Robert has the spine of a jellyfish. He wasn't going to stand up to the man with the gun. (laughs) He was about to spill everything to him. But then Sims, the Indian leader of the consortium, just comes up and murders Bouchard. Just murders him. Just murders him. In a three-piece suit. In a three-piece suit with some rubber gloves on, and then bashes the man's head in with an iron rebar a couple of times. No blood, no harm, no foul. Sims then sits down... The soldier's death. Right. The soldier's death is having your skull crushed with a piece of iron. Well, he killed him properly (laughs) the first time. That that was just the cover-up work. Uh, uh, That's what... That's what... (laughs) That's... That's what uh, Russell Crowe's character in Gladiator meant when when he, he was about to be executed. He's like, give me a soldier's death. 
a clean death. They're like, all right, get out the rebar. We're going to bash him in the head a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> and so Sim sits down and he explains everything. This is when the movie turned really stupid for me to the point where I was like, this is, no, I'm done with it. Because Sim explains <laughs> to Langdon that he was never shot in the head, but instead his company drugged him with benzodiazepine. And they faked his head wound so that he would help them somehow solve the Inferno mystery. How that would work, but he says that it would. And then Robert was never actually in a hospital. It was all a setup. And Robert's like, oh, I should have known because the hospital had locking doors. He said, quote, hospitals don't have locking doors. Scott, Luke, guys, I've been in lots of hospitals with lots of locked doors. Yeah, but not in, like, patient rooms, I don't think. I don't know if that's the truth. Mm, I don't I'll know. Guess. Yeah, this is why I don't like it, all right? He's like, everything was a setup. The hospital was a setup. The cab driver was a setup. The woman was shooting squibs. The doctor that got shot at the hospital didn't actually die. The only problem was Sienna. Turns out that, that they hired Sienna uh, because uh, based on her looks and didn't do any background check to see that she was actually Zobrist's girlfriend. They were trying to stop the inferno they needed robert to work on them or work with them and and then sienna uh betraying robert just ruined everything it's real dumb and the reason why i think it's dumb is that any plot hole or anything that seemed too convenient from the beginning of this movie to this point right here can just be explained away oh it was a setup that's why it worked out that's cheating yep that's cheating when you're doing no when you're doing a thriller when you're doing something where all these puzzle pieces have to fit, you can't go back and say, oh, and all the puzzle pieces that look like we just jammed them together with our fists and don't actually fit, that's because it was a setup and we planned it that way. The reason that they he wrote the book that they didn't, so that they didn't fit, was because this was the design. I mean, everything kind of fits. It just now fits in a different way. Okay, the bullet shot from the assassin's gun shattered the back window of the taxi cab. What squib in the history of squibs? I'm, that was really never mind. I forgot it was a movie. A, b- a blank. I forgot a it was a movie. Can, I forgot it was a movie, glass. and they literally, <laughs> they literally break glass with fake bullets all the time. I forgot it was a movie. So now Langdon and Sims are together, and they join Sinsky, the leader of the World Health Organization, and they figure out where Inferno's came or, or Inferno is is at. It's in uh, this thing called the Basilica Cistern in Istanbul. This big old cavern that once held a whole bunch of water. And now is having a a uh, uh, concert. Just, you know, a classical music concert by uh, musicians that seem to be unfazed by everything for a long time. Because all these agents, all these people in hazmat suits, Robert Langdon, uh, everybody else. And, you know, the Muppets are there for some reason. Uh, two of the three Stooges, Mo couldn't make it. Uh, Big Bird, Elmo, and Oscar the Grouch are there. Uh, you have th- all the Teletubbies. Uh, Ringo Starr uh, showed up in the background there. It was just a big old party. Everybody and their brother is pouring down in this cistern. And despite the fact that they see all these government agencies, the band just keeps playing the whole time. It's real <laughs> dumb. I mean, you have people running around with flashlights, and they're still playing. 
I mean, it Blue looked like oh. it looked like a Monsters Inc. just had a code twenty three nineteen. I'm just saying, it looked like somebody brought a human sock back to the Monsters world. That's how many hazmat suit people were there. <laughs> but uh, basically, Sienna's there, Sims is there, Sinsky's there, Langdon's there. They're all trying to find this virus. As they're looking for it, Sienna stabs Sim or Sims for some reason. I don't know why she had to do that. And it turns out that, that Sienna got her hands on some C4. And uh, she set it down on the in the cistern in the water to blow it up. It could release the virus. Now, the virus that can kill half the world's population and spread to four to six days is being held in like a large freezer bag. Like a Ziploc freezer bag tied to a stone. The virus that's going to end the world is in a freezer bag, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you so know, sometimes stuff just looking, you know, normal. That's that's part of the uh, that's part of the luster. Nothing the man, fancy to see here, the man, guys. The man who designed it was a multi-billionaire, one of the richest men on earth. He put his world-killing yeah. virus in a in a baggie. Yeah. So was the um. I want to know how he got it into the baggie without it being exposed. But anyway, um, it was a setup. So the, the design was that the bag was supposed to dissolve. Is that right? I guess I don't know. It's dumb. And it was but supposed Sienna to release. And it was supposed bag. to release an aerosol underwater. Yeah, that was also interesting to me. Here's the thing: it wasn't going to work. <laughs> that's that's what it boils down to. Inferno was supposed to be an aerosol, go out to the air, would be immediately saturated with water, and then just kind of just. Okay, so now we got dirty water that nobody drinks. Well, then it would have been in everyone's. Uh, what was that like? The that was the plumbing, so it would have been -uh. in everybody's. Nah, -uh. it used to be where everyone in Istanbul got their water, but they modernized. Remember the guy from Istanbul said that. That's what he said. They were like, the like sister, isn't some that drinking water? And he's like, no, we modernized, Indy. <laughs> uh, I wonder if this was explained better in the book. I hug. I sure hope so, because it's not explained good in the movie. I honestly feel like Ron Howard should go back to fishing and whistling because he's not a very good director. Amen. Yeah, that's what you can do, Ron. Sinsky manages to put the virus in a plastic box. Sienna gets her hand on C4. She puts it under the water. She detonates it and blows it up. Now you're thinking to yourself, C4 is some of the most powerful plastic explosives in the entire world. Certainly the cistern is going to sustain some sort of damage. No. Nope. Even the people that are in the water next to the C4 when it goes off just kind of swirls around a couple times. <laughs> They're fine. No big deal. Well, you heard if that you... one lady, didn't you? She went, who farted? <laughs> and if only you when C4 underwater. And only when the C4 blows do? up does the classical musician stop playing and think to themselves, oh, maybe we should leave. But the baggie does not. Explode. No, because Sensky is able to put it into a super high-tech Tupperware container that the World Health Organization has. And so guess what, guys? The virus is, is contained. I don't know where Sensky was in 2019. At the end of the 2019, I wish she was around to, to, to slap that baggie into a container, but whatever. See, instead of Fauci, we needed Sensky. Yeah, Langdon somehow gets shot by the police. <laughs> that's that's what this... this... <laughs> That's what this summary says. 
It's like, so, Asinski manages to keep the virus contained and Langdon gets shot in the arm by the police. So, that, that's pretty much this movie. The police is shooting the heroes. The World Health, well, it ends well. The World Health Organization takes the virus away. Langdon and Sinski part ways. And then Langdon returns the Dante death mask to the museum. The end. That is, that is a question that I have. Why? That's like the unexplained thing in my mind. Robert steals the mask, but why? Because he doesn't remember. Who's like. That's no, because not I don't the, think um... I don't think the mask. I think Zobrist wrote on the back of the mask, and they were following Zobrist's clues. I think that the light was supposed to go to Siena, but it was intercepted by the World Health Organization, who got Robert Langdon on their side to help them figure it out, which led them to Dante's mask, which they stole to try to figure out how to see uh, the details through death's eyes, like the clue said, and that led them to finding the mask with Sienna, who knew that if you rubbed the paint on the back, it would come off. Yeah, but he, um, I mean, if he was working with the WHO at that time, which he was supposedly doing, like, why, you know, they could have gotten access to the mask, and why because, does he have to steal it? Because that's how the working movie has to who? happen. He's working with the, the WHO, the oh, chick that he don't. used to be in love with, or whatever. Who? Oh, please don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, that's uh, maybe that's a book thing too. Because it was all a setup, Luke. They could do whatever they want. It was a setup. So Ignacio, who does he work for? I don't know. Does he work for the Ign- Ignacio was there when they stole the mask, and then he never shows up again, ever again. Yeah. Is he dead? But, don't know. We're not, nobody knows about Ignacio. He's never heard from he's again. He's supposedly in in hiding. <laughs> <laughs> he never yeah, comes well, out he's, of hiding. He's the best hider in the world because he forgot to come out for the movie. <laughs> he's the winner. Why doesn't the guy just release the virus, Zobrist? Why doesn't he just le- release it? Like, why does he have to put it in a baggie and wait a couple days? Because it's dumb. Why buddy? he just like he's, he should be like carried around with him in a vial, and when he's about to jump off the thing, be like, "Sayonara, suckers!" and this. break the vial, and then it's he's accomplished his mission. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was exactly uh, the Angels and Demons plot where it's like, I have this baggie and here's a camera shot of the baggie, but I'm going to tell you where it is. And, and in, a, in a minute, it'll all happen. It made sense in Angels and Demons, but here it was like, I mean, why? If you're going to do it, just do it. Just get it done. Tired of waiting. But next week... <laughs> what is this? Next week we're watching a pretty great movie that I can't wait to watch. And I'm sure you're all going to agree. We're watching the 2021 movie starring Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Are you ready, Luke? I am ready. Great. Three, two, one. Tammy Faye. What'd you do? Hello, Mother. This is Jim Baker, my husband. part of our mission to help people anyone who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out god has a plan for us what did he tell you to do this time jesus keeps <laughs> a ticking me higher and higher jim will preach and i'll sing higher and higher. god does not want
us to be poor. Mr. Fowl, a pleasure. Now God has a voice in this fight. Who's he fighting? Liberal agenda. Homosexual agenda. Faith isn't political. You can't talk to him like that. Jimmy Falwell is a powerful man. <laughs> She's a firecracker, Jim. <laughs> if everyone watching could double their pledge just for one month, God loves you. He really does. We're not doing anything wrong, though. Is that a question? Tammy and I are undergoing the most vicious attacks. Serving God don't feel like it should be a money-making opportunity. You know, when I saw that clipping with my face on it, I thought for a second that you were proud of me. Oh, Tammy Faye, you follow blindly. In the end, all you are is blind. These eyes. I just want to love people. The devil's coming for me, Tammy. Can we talk about Satan later, Jim? a patient of AIDS. I can't look at this. You need to get her under control. I built you an empire. You built you an empire. Some people, they're just hurting so bad and we just need to love them. I want to put my arm around you. And I want to put my arms around you, Tammy Faye. For it, looking in the rearview mirror of my life. This is who I am. Oh man, that's gonna, that's gonna be a good one. <laughs> this kind of looks good. I think Andrew Garfield is one of my favorite actors. Yeah, I like woman. Too. I don't know. Oh, Jessica Chastain was good. You know her uh, from I guess you didn't see it. For <laughs> tune in next week for something different, another show. I think. Okay. Ugh. Tina Fey. Yeah, the eyes of Tina Fey. <laughs> We're going to watch the eyes of Tammy Fey. And if you don't know about Tammy Fey and, and Jim Baker, I'll give yourself a treat. You know, God <laughs> doesn't want you to be poor in the knowledge of Jim Baker. You just got to get on the Wikipedia and Google it. And you can do that for free. Send in your pledge. And just for like the righteous. Yeah, just like uh Jim Baker. You don't have to send us a pledge, but if you wanted to, double your pledge this week. Seeing as y'all pay nothing for it, shouldn't be too hard. Give the seed money. For honor righteous, I'm Zach Eiler. <laughs> I'm Booch Taylor. And I'm still Joseph Smith. Before we go, uh I do want to say that my uh Prayers and condolences go out uh, uh, to Australia. I don't know if you guys heard the the story, but uh, there's some sad news out of Australia today. The inventor of the boomerang grenade died. Boomerang <laughs> grenade? <laughs> That's horrible. Oh. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Wow. <laughs> the boomerang grenade? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see what happened. Uh, okay. That was that was something. <laughs> All right guys, I'll see you next week. Okay. Yeah, I got to pee. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you.
last thing I want to be seen doing is carrying a limp body dressed as a banana up <laughs> the stairway of my yeah. house. You may have a point there, Luke. <laughs> my first reaction well, would be see, like... Well, you're not a hardened, you're not a hardened, uh, you know, military guy who runs around doing committing crimes and dealing with crap like this every day. They're just like, ah, body to the ceiling. It's not a big deal. Disposable person. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. I played that song for Joseph the other day just to see what he would react yeah. like. I was like going to headbang with him and have fun. He he got scared. <laughs> he got scared and made me turn it off. <laughs> That's understandable.